Welcome to episode number 17 of the Healthy Nomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kennedy, coming at you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As many of you know, I'm a passionate runner. Running has enriched my life in so many ways, many of them beyond just health and fitness. And I'm often asked by friends and family, how do I get started running? Well, running at its core is fairly straightforward. You just, well, run. But in order to enjoy a healthy life with running and make it a habit, you need to come at it with the right approach for a few reasons. For the next few episodes, I'm going to focus on what new runners, real beginners, need to focus on by interviewing running experts. First up, and my guest today is Jay Deshari. Originally from New Orleans, Jay completed his Master's of Physical Therapy at Louisiana State University. Jay has built his international reputation as an expert in biomechanical analysis as the director of Speed Clinic at the University of Virginia. Jay is the author of Anatomy for Runners, writes columns for numerous magazines, and has published over a dozen professional journal articles. Jay is also a certified running coach for the United States Track and Field Association. The show notes for this episode can be found at healthynomics.com slash 17. You'll also be able to sign up for my free Running for Beginners email course there. Okay, let's go chat with Jay. Welcome to the Healthy Nomics Podcast. Boosting your health and fitness IQ, one episode at a time. And now your host, Mark Kennedy. Okay, so hey there, Jay. So why don't we start today and we'll talk a little bit about uh, running shoes, which I know is a big question for uh, for new runners in particular. I'm wondering if you could just um, run through sort of what the considerations are and sort of what the common um, sort of myths and mis- misconceptions that new runners have when um, looking to buy a running shoe and, and what they should look for and that type of thing. Yeah, for sure, Mark. So, um, you know, running shoe is an important tool. Um, and, uh, you know, you want to make sure that uh, you have the right tool for the job. But, um, you know, if you give me a backhoe, I'm not going to excavate uh, the land correctly for a uh, skyscraper, right? Yeah. So um, you have to know what you're doing. And you're more important than the actual shoe that you're in. And I think it's one of the, the biggest things that, uh, you know, new runners should understand. Um, so, you know, if you think about good footwear, you want to um, have kind of, you want, you want to have a shoe that's going to not mask what you're sensing, right? So if you imagine, um, you know, tying your shoes with with your bare hands is easier than tying a shoe uh, with gloves on. Um, Shoes, you know, do provide some, uh, some, some cushioning and some, uh, some tactile support for us. But again, a key word there is tactile support. So if you have things that are overly cushioned, um, we tend to not get good feedback into our bodies. And so we have a hard time doing our job, which is stabilizing our own body. Um, You know, a shoe that weighs, you know, between six to 12 ounces is not going to stabilize you. You have to do the work. So um, in keeping with that idea, um, of giving you good feedback, um, yet providing some comfort and obviously a little bit of just um, you know tactile support. Shoes should be basically thin, firm, and light. Um, and you know, over the years, you know that's, that's what shoes started out as. Uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago, uh, running shoes were very firm, very thin, very light. Um, and, uh, and and then shoes kind of progressed and got very cushioned, and a bunch of stuff got stuck in them um, because you know if you can make technology, we can stick it in shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the idea is you know trying to factor in what's important, and and, and you, you really want to have a shoe that's going to be um, lightweight. Um, if, I'll, I'll be totally honest. If you want to have um, a shoe that's actually going to help you run fast faster because people always like that. Um, the only thing that's been, been uh, validated by research is to get a light shoe. 
So okay. um, th- that's it. <laughs> um, so uh, a light shoe is nice. And, um, and then uh, thin, we talked about, um, yeah, people always talk about, you know, how much drop do I have to have? Um, I- I'm not in the camp that everybody has to run a zero drop shoe. Um, I think actually some amount of cushioning is good. And the literature shows that, um, you know, again, no cushioning um, requires your, uh, your foot to have to do a lot of work. Um, a lot of cushioning um, basically kind of gets in the way of your body's ability to stabilize. And a little bit of cushioning actually tends to help us improve our economy. So um, a, a little bit of cushioning goes a long way. Um, and uh, so, so we said, um, you know, um, and, and the thin factor in there is important as well, right? Because if you have a, a ton of material, um, it tends to, you know, again, hurt our ability to detect where our foot is. Um, so I think those, those thin, firm, and light kind of constraints hold true. Um, and the other thing, too, uh, is, you know, just the, the fit of the shoe itself. Um, you know, when you, when you stand, your foot does tend to split or flatten out a little bit. Um, and if you put a shoe on that feels too narrow, um, I know a lot of us tend to say, oh, I'll, just, I'll upsize, you know, one size, and, and that can help for sure. But, but try and find a shoe that actually has a, a wide last um, or a wide kind of form to it, mm-hmm. um, it w- because it's really important to let your foot splay out. If you've got a, if you put a shoe on, you feel like the, the upper kind of the mesh part of the shoe is, you know, constraining your foot. That's, that's really going to impair your ability to, uh, to stabilize your body. So, um, yeah, thin, firm, light, make sure you have a, a sufficient width in the forefoot. Those are the, the, the really critical elements. Okay, that's great. Um, and so what about for someone who's walking into a running store uh, for the first time? What, what do they say to the, the, the person that works at the store, the customer service, uh, you know, running specialist? What do they say to them, you know, when they say they're new to, new to running, um, sort of, because they don't really know what they're looking for. <laughs> So. Uh, of course. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a great question, right? I mean, I think you walk in and say, hey, I'm going to running looking for some shoes. Um, if they immediately steer you over towards, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, big heavy products, I, I'd like to kind of steer people back. I think one well, of the problems people have, and, and, and let me be clear, I, I don't think that, you know, we have this kind of nomenclature, right? We sort of wind up with people, um, excuse me, with shoes being in what we call minimal footwear uh, and, you know, everything else. And I, I really don't like the fact that we have this distinction of minimal footwear because, um, it's, it shouldn't really be minimal. Um, it should be just shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe say, look, I'd like to try and get some, you know, lighter weight, uh, shoes. I'm just starting out with running. Um, I really want to make sure I, 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 I learn to run correctly. And, and some of that involves, uh, make sure you have a strong foot. And one of the reasons why a lot of runners who've had experience for a number of years, um, running in these big, um, you know, overly supportive, overly cushioned shoes, um, our feet have gotten quite weak and quite dependent on the, on these shoes. Um, and as a new runner, if you start out with less stuff on your feet, uh, it makes it much easier to feel your gait and uh, much easier to help your foot become strong. So I, I really feel like it's, you know, I hate to run down the bandwagon of minimal, you know, using that label minimal, but the reality is a lot of the retailers adopt it. Uh, and it may be nice if they steer you towards some big bulky stuff, say, hey, look, how about some other minimal options to, to give a try? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, tr- tr- try for some thin, thin, firm and light stuff. Okay. And then um, do you recommend that um, the, the person try the shoes on and actually take them out for a run or what do you suggest Definitely. There? Yes, definitely try them on. 
Um, a few tips here. So uh, number one, you're buying shoes to run in. You're not buying shoes to walk in. Um, uh, typically, when you put a pair of shoes on, um, you've, you've made your decision before you even stand up. <laughs> um, you know, th- that kind of sensation of first comfort holds a lot of weight. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely want people to buy shoes they, they find comfortable. Um, I will tell you something, though. When you, when you walk, right, you only have about you know, one time your body weight. When you run, you have about two and a half times to three times your body weight you're supporting. And so um, firmer shoes actually do better when we run. Um, softer shoes are fine when we walk. So if you're kind of torn between two shoes, you put two of them on, like, wow, this one feels good when I walk around, this one feels good, you know, the shoe that's actually a little bit firmer feeling will likely do a little better job if you're, if you're actually running. Um, I know it's a little bit counterintuitive, but, um, but again, that, that soft cushion tends to pack down pretty quickly. So uh, firmer cushioning is definitely better, um, but definitely run the shoes. Uh, the best case scenario is that your running shop will let you take the shoe outside um, around the block. Um, if that's not the case with a treadmill, then you're maybe on the treadmill but uh, you definitely want to want to get the shoe out for a few minutes and see how you feel. Okay, awesome. And then uh, another question that you know I get from people periodically, and you see people going to the running stores as well with the same um, uh, issue or problem is that they, they wear orthotics currently. So, what are your, your recommendations there? Or thoughts around you know people who wear orthotics and then the running shoe that they choose. Yeah. So f- first thing to figure out is actually do you, you need orthotics? And if you if you if you're considering this, and say you know, go see a, uh, a clinician who, who really does understand your foot, and and you know ask if that's something you need long term or short term. Um, if people have foot alignment problems, then I use orthotics. Um, if people don't have alignment issues, I, I don't go down the route of orthotics, and I try and get people you know strong enough to stabilize their own foot. So it's a little different discussion, but um, if you do have an orthotic, an orthotics going to take up volume in the shoe. Uh, they tend to be thicker than the average insole. So um, if you've got uh, you know to, to stick something that's higher than the, the standard spec, you know, kind of flimsy insole in the shoe, you need to have space. So um, definitely take your orthotics with you into the store um, and, and put them in the shoes that you're trying on. Don't don't just try a shoe and say, oh, it'll be fine later because the shoe will fit dramatically differently if you if you're trying to make sure your orthotics uh, work well. Perfect. And then what about um, types of um, stores to buy running shoes? Do you recommend um, you know going into a running specialist shop, which is what you know? Hopefully, I would think most people would do. But is uh, do you do you agree with that? Uh, wholeheartedly um, for, for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, I mean, you know, running's a, a community sport, right? So I think just, you know, getting to know the people who are going to be out, you're going to see at races every single day, getting to know the people you're going to be running with is a great supportive environment. So I, I would definitely encourage people to go towards a specialty running retailer. Um, and, and again, those, I mean, let's be honest, if you have an acre in pain, the first person you're going to have contact with is going to be the folks at a retail shop. And they're, they're a, a huge, viable resource uh, for folks. I mean, mostly, I, I read a study a long time ago it's like 88 percent of people have asked a running retailer about an injury um, before they've sought the advice of a medical care provider it's just an easy simple discussion to enter into and it, yeah they're a great resource so for sure you know utilize them support them for what they do for the community that's great okay well let's um move into a bit um about preparing the body to run for you know for for a new runner who's maybe ran you know 15 20 years ago or dabbled it in a bit um or someone who's just you know, coming into it fresh, um, perhaps they've, you know, carrying a few extra pounds. What are some considerations, uh, for, for people surrounding their body and sort of preparing them, um, for, for running and preparing their body for what to expect after they run, maybe soreness and that type of thing. 
Yeah, so let's, let's talk this from a few perspectives. I think this is kind of the, probably the best question to answer, right? So if you, you know, one of the reasons why people start running and stop running is because they start running and they try and go run five miles and they they, they sore. This this doesn't feel good. So yeah. I'll stop running, right? And that's that's what we don't want to have happen. Um, so I think a few things. Number one, as far as increasing your volume, start slow. And, and yeah, you know, we hear this all the time. But you know, starting slow for one person may mean a mile. Starting slow for somebody else may mean three. Um, you have to be respective of where you are, right? And if, you, if you're somebody who's been playing, you know, high school basketball for, you know, five years, four years, and then you want to get into running when you go to college, that's different than having somebody who's, you know, had a, had a sedentary desk job for 12 years and trying to start running. So just think about your athletic history, um, but don't be afraid to do walk runs at first. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing to think about. And the other thing is, I, I, I like to take the emphasis off of mileage and put the emphasis on time. Mm-hmm. Um, your body has no clue if you made it run four miles or 4.5 miles or, or six miles. It just knows how long you went out um, and how hard you went. Um, so it, when you're trying to ramp up volume, I'm a big fan of kind of, you know, two minutes on, one minute off type of things versus, you know, half a mile on uh, and then walk for 0.2 miles or whatever. So I, I like using time. Um, and the other nice thing is, too, I mean, so, some people who are out there listening to this, you know, uh, have, you know, pretty flat terrain around them. And that puts a very different demand on your body than somebody who's got very hilly terrain. Mm-hmm. So um, I, think, I think going for time is good. I'd slowly increase that. Um, you know, as far as how much did you increase your running mileage per week, um, you know, we don't know this exactly from a research standpoint, um, but I will say that every study that's out there has shown, you know, 10% per week increase in volume to be a very nice, safe level. Um, so I, I, I would, I, I like that. Um, if 15, I start to be okay with too. Once you start to get 20% per week increases, I think it's probably a little high for, for newer folks. Um, but uh, so that's on the running side, but, but on the, let's talk about the non-running side because that's probably the, the bigger thing here, right? So um, I, I kind of have three non-negotiable elements that runners need to bring to the table. Um, and I'm not saying you can't run if you, if you don't pass these tests, but but it makes running uh, more stressful on your body and less efficient. So um, the, the three things are you have to have enough range of motion and move your leg back behind you, okay? And that requires three critical things of itself. That requires good hip extension, mm-hmm. good ankle motion, and good big toe motion. Um, uh, so, uh, hip extension is basically, uh, you know, if you take, if you take, if you're standing and you lift your knee up towards your chest, that's hip flexion. Okay. If you drop your knee down to where it's just straight in line with your torso, that'd be basically neutral. And if you let your leg go back, uh, your hip move back behind you, that's hip extension. Um, and so, um, it's important that we make sure we can extend our hips. Uh, in my clinical experience, about 85% of the individuals I see don't have sufficient hip extension. Um, and if you don't have motion in your hip, it means you're going to force motion from your back. And that's not good for a number of reasons. And so how far, Um, sorry to interrupt, but how far back um, should you be able to extend yeah, so normal hip extension is 15 to 18 degrees. Okay. Um, so, so it's not a lot, but if you lack that motion, um, again, you're going to force motion uh, you know, up in your spine. You're going to force excessive rotation. Um, you may, your, may, your leg may kind of cut your push off short, which is not good from an efficiency standpoint. Um, so, yeah, we just want to make sure people have motion. Um, there's a great kneeling hip flexor stretch you can do, um, which, is, which is wonderful for this. And, again, given that the vast majority of, of uh, folks um, you know, uh, engage in this, we'll, 
will, will, will have a deficiency here, I, I definitely suggest you try it. It's very simple. You just uh, drop down onto one knee, and then you basically, um, you're gonna, uh, kind of in a lunge position, and then you're going to imagine your pelvis is a cereal bowl, and now I want you to imagine you're going to spill your milk behind you. Okay, so it's basically a pelvic tilt, um, and you want to hold that tilt for time. Okay, so um, the research shows we have to hold stretches for time. You're looking for about uh, uh, three to five minutes, okay? Um, Most days a week, about four to six days a week, and you're going to do that for months, okay? That's not something that's going to get better overnight. It takes some time, um, but it will improve. So um, that's probably the biggest deficit I see uh, in in, in folks trying to run is they don't have enough motion at their hip. So... um, but so, so hip motion is important, um, uh, big toe motion is important, um, and then uh, ankle motion is important. So for the ankle and, and big toe, uh, you just want to make sure you have enough dorsiflexion. Um, if you're somebody who just, you know, standing tries to go into a little gentle squat, um, is feeling a lot of tightness uh, in back of their calves, that can force your heel to come up early and uh, change your stability during stance. Um, and if you're somebody who's got some, uh, some issues with, with plantar fascia tightness, um, that can be an issue. Um, I, I may point folks over uh, I did a, um, a story for running times many years ago and if you type in um, are you ready for minimal um, running times if you type that into YouTube um, you'll find a nice video we did which uh, which which isn't just for minimal but it, it talks about um, how to assess and, uh, and how to check yourself to ensure that you have enough motion uh, at your ankle and your big toe that's great I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll find that and put a link to it uh, in, the, in the show notes for sure yeah, so so that that's the mobility concerns, um, and then some, from there we run on two more concerns. They're a little more simple, but um, so one is you want to make sure you have enough. Um, uh, so what, oh, let me backtrack. Once you find out you have enough motion, right? So enough motion at your hip, motion at your ankle, motion at your big toe, um, then you want to make sure that you have a good stable foundation and that you can drive from your hip. Okay, and what that means is you want to make sure you have good core stability, and core stability is not linked to how many crunches you can do <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, in fact, your, your rectus abdominis, that muscle is called your six-pack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that muscle is a flexor. It moves my spine, and there is zero correlation to abdominal strength, okay, uh, and, and basically you know, true um, kind of core stability. So um, it's important you learn the right muscles to, to activate. Um, I'm happy to go into some detail here, but uh, but it, you really should you know probably get some help if you're unfamiliar with this. Basically, you want to make sure you can activate with a muscle called your transversus, um, and uh, it's a deep muscle uh, in our abdominal wall. Now, is that the and transverse thing, abdominis? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you know, one of the things you can do if you basically just if you find that bump, that very prominent bump in the front of your pelvis, you can kind of feel that little bump. It's called your, your anterior superior iliac spine. Yep. And you put your finger on that bump, and then you just slide your finger up about an inch and a half. And if you cough, all right, that muscle will just kind of pouch right into your fingers, and and you'll feel it. And that's a very nice spot to, to feel your, your transversus. Um, and so the goal is not to walk around going like, screaming all day long. Um, the goal is to be able to just activate that muscle gently, okay, um, about 30% contraction. And, and so 
that's the best thing to do to get your core controlled. So it's not like that was a new exercise, but you want to basically try and pre-contract that muscle just about 30, 40% and then do, you know, a plank or, you know, different, you know, torso rotations or, you know, whatever exercise a day you read is, you know, the one that you want to do. Um, but it's not so much, you know, there's no best core exercise, but there's a right way to do all your core exercises. And, and, you know, people who've been taught to kind of lift the belly button up and in and kind of flatten their back, um, that's actually using those flexor muscles. Muscles. That's not your core. Okay. Um, you, you, you can't use that functionally. And likewise, we don't want to see people arch their back. So kind of long-winded there, but, but, uh, but it's important to make sure you know how to activate your core correctly. Um, and, and then the, the, the third thing is, um, so we see you have to have enough motion, have to have good uh, proximal uh, core control and, and stability. And the third thing is to learn to uh, fire from your, your hips, right? So um, it's really important to make sure you can actually um, isolate out your glute max, okay? Your glute max has three super important functions. Um, it serves to, um, to extend your hip, okay? Um, it serves to uh, control your posture. If your glute max is weak, what happens, we see people tend to kind of lean forward a whole lot. Um, and the third thing it does is control rotation. Um, and it's really important to make sure if you've seen pictures of people running with that knee kind of collapsed and diving into the inside, mm-hmm. um, that it's a real kind of wind up of the lower leg. And it's important to make sure that we can get the glute max to fire to stabilize our alignment when we're in stance. Um, so t- to help with those, um, I like uh, a number of things. One exercise I like a lot, kind of does a bunch of things all at once, is uh, the single leg deadlift. Um, and it's um, really hard to do this wrong <laughs> um, if you use one simple prop. So if you go take a broomstick or just a, a PVC you know, dowel or something you have lying around, mm-hmm. a ski pole, um, and if you put that uh, ski pole behind you so it's in, hold it so it's in contact with your head, the middle of your back, and your tailbone, okay, so you've got that stick kind of, you're holding it with both hands along the backside of your body, and then keeping your knees not locked but pretty straight, you want to kind of push your hips backwards, okay, and then push your hips forward to come back up again. That's going to make sure that you're actually moving from your hips and not from your spine. And just practice that maybe 15, 20 times and just get the motion down. And then once you kind of understand that you're moving from your hip and not your back, so as you come forward, make sure that stick doesn't come off your tailbone. It's going to make sure you move from your hips. Um, then you want to try and do that on one leg. And, and, and I just, as it's a nice, simple warm up exercise to get people used to, again, moving from their spine, keeping good stability. You have to work a little bit of balance, right? So it's just one simple warm up exercise, which does a whole lot of benefit for runners. That's great. And then, and I also want to ask you, um, what are some common sort of niggles or injuries you get? I'm sure you see all the time of people who just started running and they've done a few runs and they come in to see you and, and, you know, where are their pain points usually? Yeah. So, um, the, the, the top three running injuries that I see are no different than one stuff we see out there in the literature and so forth. It's basically the number one is, uh, is going to be knee pain, usually kind of front of the knee pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is, is, uh, typically shin pain, shin splints, uh, and number three is low back pain. Okay. So, um, talk about a few of those real quickly. So, uh, knee pain typically happens, um, when your, uh, your, your, your leg tends to kind of wobble side to side, right? So, um, I always talk about, you know, this idea behind you have a train 
train, we have a track. Um, your patella, your kneecap is kind of the train. That train should kind of track up and down the groove nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, we look at what the track, right? So as you're running, if, you're, if your entire left leg is diving and rotating into the inside uh, as you run, you know, no amount of little isolated quad sets is going to help that, right? You have to work on controlling your, your leg alignment. So again, making sure you have great glute control is super important. Um, that single leg deadlift exercise I mentioned earlier is helpful for this. Um, there's a bunch of clamshells and for things to activate your glute. Those little monster walks, you put bands in your feet and kind of go side to side. There's a bunch of good things here to help with that. But, but anterior knee pain is one of the biggest ones we see. Um, and it's also made worse by overstriding. Um, when you run uh, with your leg contacting very far in front of your body, you put a bunch of load in your knee. So um, for uh, you know one, one simple cue, uh, when you run, pretend you're starting to run on February 3rd when there's a nice sheet of ice outside. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're um, in Canada. Exactly. So you, you actually do have this problem. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, I was joking. It'd be great to hold introductory running clinics outside in February, right? Because nobody's going to take big bounding strides because the ground's slick. Oh, yeah. Um, that's how I've learned to shorten my stride. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tra- training yeah. up here in Toronto in February. That's you, you've got to do that. Yeah. So it's, it's a great it's a great thing to do, right? Just visualize that exact scenario. It's going to minimize that overstriding level. Dramatically decreases loads of the knee uh, upwards of about forty percent. So um, it, it's a great, great, great um, tip to to try and lessen loads of the knee. So that's number one. Um, for the shin pain, um, there's two things here. Again, that overstriding aspect is is an integral part here as well, right? So if that leg contacts very far in front of you, those muscles up uh, in your lower leg have to work overtime. Um, but what's more important than that um, is, is to learn to strengthen your foot, right? So very simply, if you have a strong foot, your foot's going to stabilize itself. If you have a weak foot, the stress is going to go up into your shin. Um, so just working on some balance training and learning to isolate your big toe um, is, is really important. Um, again, I direct you back to that um, Are You Ready for Minimal video. Uh, and I go through a nice little sequence there on how to engage your foot um, to make sure your foot's strong. And you'll, you'll be amazed. Folks who try this stuff out and just stand on one leg, and, it, and it's even a nice test, right? Just, you know, standing on your leg for 30 seconds, your left side, your right side. And some people can't even do that, right? Um, and then we have people close their eyes on one leg. And when you close your eyes, you take away vision and you magnify your kind of sensation or kind of learning from the ground. Um, and that's really, really, really important to make sure that you can feel what's happening below you. Yeah. And runners are very visual dominant. And, um, and people who tend to kind of fall over, lose contact, their foot, you can make dramatic gains. I have people who literally can't stand on one leg within like, you know, five days. They're able to close their eyes and rotate and do all kind of fancy stuff, right? Because wow. you, just, you work on it, you improve your deficits. So um, I agree with a little progression in that video. I think it's definitely worthwhile. And, and people will be amazed by how quickly that improves and how much load that takes off of your shin. So, um, so we said uh, knee pain, um, shin pain, and low back pain, right? So, um, you know, again, two things here. One is um, a lot of us have those tight hip flexor muscles. Those mm-hmm. tight hip flexor muscles pull us into what we call that kind of spilling our our serial forward position. Okay, we're kind of um, it, it's what we call a hyperlordosis or an increased arch in our back. Um, and as you stand this way, because a lot of us do um, with one ton body weight, there's not that much load in your back. But then when you run, we have about again you know, two and a half to three times or body weight kind of compressing and shearing that spine. So um, one of the biggest tips I would, t- I would say is, you know, imagine you're running uphill 
Um, people who have back pain or running typically don't have back pain when they run uphill because when we run uphill, we have to kind of lean slightly into the hill. Yes. Um, and so in that position that we're in where we kind of drop the sternum, kind of the, the breastbone, if you slightly drop the sternum down, that will actually put your spine in more of a neutral position. Um, and that unloads your spine. It's super helpful. Um, so when you're running on flat, imagine you're running slightly up an incline. And when you're running downhill, resist the temptation to kind of slump backwards in the back seat okay um i always use the analogy of a skier so if you look at a, a downhill skier um your downhill skiers kind of keep their weight centered over the ski so they can have weight in their tips mm-hmm. um they don't kind of again slump on the back seat and when you run downhill if you let yourself arch backwards that puts an inordinate amount of load on your spine so um imagine that kind of cue about kind of skiing downhill that'll help you kind of maintain your, your your spine in good position yeah that makes a lot of sense now are, are these considerations for in Injuries um, and these common injuries, would they be the same for people that uh, might be carrying a few extra pounds? Yeah, they would for sure. I think the, the main difference here is uh, you know, people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, I'm bigger. Should I, you know, w- w- what modifications do I have to make?" Right. So I think a few things. One, in general, if you're if you tend to be a little bit larger, you're just probably a little more deconditioned. So I think just again, taking time, you know, the balance stuff we talked about, the hip mobility, those posture alignments, those become a little bit more important for sure to make sure you can tap into those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you improve your body mechanics, um, I, I'd say that the differences in increasing our, our, our body aren't really any different. So so, you know, that, that kind of 10% rule, I think, holds true. I think just be smart about increasing your volume. Um, you know, again, resist the temptation. I know we, we see people on, you know, shows like Biggest Loser, you know, and we get motivated and excited, but we're trying to push our bodies too far too quickly and we get hurt. And, you know, it's it, it's not fair to, you know, to, to try and just, you know, go for an hour the first day. Um, you know, let's channel that motivation into a smart plan uh, and make sure your, your increases are progressive uh, and you'll achieve your goals. And that's the whole goal. So not, not, you know, we're not thinking short term about just today's run, we're thinking about making a lifestyle change to make sure you can, you know, accommodate these stresses for the long haul. That's great. Um, so before we uh, wind up here, I just had one one last question, and I know a lot of people too when they're new to running um, and say they haven't been that athletic growing up, um, they feel like you know they look funny. It feels unnatural when they run. What do you what do you say to to those people to help them sort of, I guess, with their confidence and going out there and not being afraid to to go out for a run? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, I think, you know, find somebody you can go for a run with. Okay, so, you know, every study out there on psychology of training shows if you have a buddy to, to join, um, you know, you're less likely to skip your workout. So uh, I think, you know, finding somebody to go with, one, you're going to have questions as a new runner that go well beyond what we talked about today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it gives you an opportunity to bounce some ideas off somebody, right? So, you know, almost every single running store, especially running store that I know of, has kind of beginner training groups that go out. And, and some of those runs are not five-mile runs. They're one, two-mile runs. Because people just like you who are looking to you know find a community to jump into, um, so I think just you know going out and getting out there and being consistent and thinking about look you know I, I want to try and hit some goals as being consistent as as the first thing right so you know write down a sheet of paper somewhere in your house and say look today I'm going to go out for you know. Two minutes on, one minute walk. I'm gonna do that, you know, four times, uh, you know, for for week one. And week two, I'm gonna do that five times. And you know, just gradually increase that volume up, and then start looking at okay, the 5K, the 10K you're thinking about. But but you know, make make a commitment to being consistent first, um, and, and and just getting out there. That's great. Well, uh, listen, Jay, I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to the video you, you referred to a couple times there, uh, and also a link to um, your book. Are do you have a couple books now? 
Uh, well, I have, I have two books. Yeah, I have um, I have uh, Anatomy for Runners, which was uh, the U.S. book, which which has all the stuff we talked about, uh, and then some in there, which I've uh, read and I, and I loved it. Um, and and then um, uh, I have a, a European edition of the same book, so it's called uh, Run Like an Athlete. Okay, uh, it's the exact same content. I just suggest that you watch a Hugh Grant movie and eat uh, and drink some tea while you while you read it. It's, <laughs> it's written in the Queen's English, but uh, same content. So I love it. Okay, well, uh, listen, Jay, uh, thanks very much for your time, and have a great day. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Nomics Podcast at www.healthynomics.com.